0: Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge and thank you that you're here with us today. Thank you for your grace. As we read from First John a few moments ago, love comes from you because you're our love. Pure, unconditional, holy love. That's the kind of love you have. Despite our rebellion against you, you first loved us. You pursued us. You saved us from our sin and gave us new life through Jesus. And so we praise you for that. Father, your saving love calls us to imitate you. Your love for us compels us to love each other. Thank you that in this church family our relationships are marked not by selfishness, but by selflessness. Thank you that by your grace we're learning to forgive each other, just as Christ forgave us. Help us to speak the truth in love to each other often. Aid us as we seek to serve each other's practical needs. Keep our hearts soft so we will rejoice at each other's happiness and offer real support in hardship. May the quality of our relationships as members of Church on Mill be so vibrant that non-believers would see you through our love and our unity. Even as we pray for this church, we acknowledge that there's other gospel-centered preaching churches, both in Tempe and in much of the world. Thank you for the team that Tad mentioned earlier is serving in Southeast Asia today. Thank you that they're willing to go halfway around the world to tell people about you. We pray that you'd give them effectiveness in their evangelism. And for your glory, Father, we pray that you would bring Muslims they're sharing the truth with to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We also pray for like-minded churches closer to home, like Calvary Goodyear. Thank you for their faithfulness in the scriptures and their church's witness for Christ. As their pastor, my friend John Filkey is healing from surgery today. We pray Their elder leadership team would be confident as they lead. Father, as you gathered people, we now desire to sit under your good word. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that you are not a silent God. Thank you that you've spoken clearly. We pray that we would listen attentively and that we would apply what we hear and that we treasure you more deeply, more richly, as a result of what Tad will preach about today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen thankful you're here today. Tad is going to wind out our series on uh, living water. As we've spent weeks talking about the fears that can keep us from living the life that God has called us to, Tad's going to try and wrap that up today in a way that's helpful and summarizes for us what we've been talking about. Uh, Before he begins uh, to preach, I'd like to draw attention to his cover on his iPad. Tad, would you show us? your cover on your ipad is that not beautiful next thing you know tad will be talking about pineapple and yogurt and all kinds of girly things
1: we're going to talk about unicorns today excellent unicorns
0: bring it on dr skinner
1: unicorns and rainbows that's the title of the sermon this morning So I'm, this is my daughter's iPad. So it's, just to clarify, mine, mine actually has rainbows on it. So so yeah. Good morning. Glad to have the opportunity to be preaching today. Uh, I feel like I need your permission to do this. Is is it okay if I stand while preaching today? Aww. I know that's, that's not the way we usually do things around here, but I think it's probably the traditional way. So, uh, do I have everybody's permission to stand? Okay. Okay. All right. So, really, I'm glad to be preaching God's Word this morning. Uh, Next week, Pastor Chuck will be back in the pulpit. He'll be preaching, as we mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier, the new sermon series called The Story. So, looking forward to that. As I said, be reading Genesis 1 and 2 in preparation for that next week. So we are wrapping up this sermon series called Living Water, and essentially we're looking at the fears that often inhibit us from believing the truth and allowing the, the, the Spirit to move in us, the Spirit to work in our lives, uh, experiencing that living water that's provided by the Spirit. So I thought we'd be blessed this morning by examining specifically... Uh, some of the, the specific fears of how we overcome those fears that plague us. How do we specifically overcome the fears that, that plague us and, and affect our lives? So over the past several weeks, Chuck's really just t- touched the tip of the iceberg, I think, in regards to the different types of fears. He's talked about uh, the fear of exposure, the fear of insignificance, the fear of losing control, the fear of being exposed to pain, the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, And those are really in relation to the real issues of greed and shame and worry, selfishness, apathy. So we all experience fear, but how do we deal with fear effectively? How do we deal with it? So thankfully, we have an abundance of scriptural answers to that. Scripture tells us how we are to deal with our fears. So today we're going to look at the remedy to our fears, and we're going to talk about the antidote to our fears. So it's not unicorns and rainbows, it's it's something else. We'll talk about that in a moment. So how do we not fear? Do you just go from do you just flip a switch and go from fearing to not fearing? How, how does that actually happen? So if you'll turn to Psalm 56, we're gonna read one of the Psalms of David. If you don't have a Bible, you should find one under the rack in the seat in front of you, as Andrew or in the seat beneath you as Andrew tries to grab one. So that, in that Bible, you'll find it on page 327 of the Bible that's under your seat. I don't know what page it is on your Bible, if you brought it. But Psalm 56, and this is a psalm of David. We're going to read the whole thing. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God." You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have left it for us as a light to our path, that you've left it for us so that we might know how to live life, that we might know your character and how we ought to respond in relation to who you are. God, I thank you that we don't have to fear others, that we can know how to relate to them in the proper way. I pray that you would open these scriptures to our eyes this morning, that we would be able to hear your voice, that we'd be able to apply these specifically to the the specific fears that we have, and that as a result of that, that we might walk in freedom and be able to trust you, love you, and love others. God, we give this time to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to begin this morning by addressing um, what I just skipped over, what uh, probably you skipped over as well. If you notice, the text of this psalm is preceded by a certain statement. And if you're like me, you kind of gloss over that. I usually think that when I'm reading the psalms, I think that, that that's irrelevant to me. And so I skip over it. It's some sort of crazy musical information that has no bearing on my life. I mean, really, what is a mictum? And, and who cares what a is, right? That's what I think. So, uh, but in this case, there's some really good information, probably in all cases, but in this case, there's definitely some good information that gives us context to the Psalms. So, or to this Psalm. So the Psalms were the songbooks or the hymnals of the Jewish people. And this is telling us that this Psalm was set to a particular tune, and that tune was called The Dove on Far Off Terebinths. Now, you all know that one, don't you? I, I think that most of Metallica's songs are set to that tune, and, uh, or maybe it's Tupac. I, I get those confused, so it's one of them. So anyway, it goes on to tell us that David wrote this psalm while he was being seized, or when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. Now that sounds pretty ominous. It sounds pretty fear-inducing. That's really key, though, to us as we try to discern what this psalm is about, what's really going on here. So we get the context from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. We see this story played out in 1 Samuel chapter 21. We find that David's been running from King Saul. So David had been anointed king. Uh, he was gaining in status and favor with the people of Israel, and Saul was jealous. Saul knew that his, his days were numbered unless he got rid of David. So he was trying to kill David. And David was uh, in great fear running for his life, and he was so desperate that he went to Gath. Now, who can tell me, this is a real question, what's your feedback, who can tell me uh, what's significant about Gath? Anybody know? Where Goliath was from. It's where Goliath was from, right? You remember Goliath, right? Goliath was that eight or nine foot tall giant that David had killed, really just a couple of months earlier that David had killed Goliath, in front of hordes of Philistines. Everybody saw that. You don't think that that was not remembered and not noticed. And here David walks into Gath. And the kicker is that David was carrying Goliath's sword. So you remember David got the sling and the stones and he slung the sling, threw the stone into Goliath's forehead. Goliath fell down. David raced up, grabbed Goliath's sword, chopped his head off, and he kept the sword. And so You don't think that that would not have been noticed by these Philistines. David waltzes into Goliath's hometown, all while carrying the sword of the giant that he had just killed. Now, how desperate would David have to be to do that? Fear drives us to unhealthy places. It makes us do really crazy stuff. Now, I'm assuming, I think this is a fairly safe assumption, I'm assuming that none of you have ever killed a giant And then walked into that giant's hometown carrying the sword of the giant that you just killed. Right? Nobody's ever done that. So you may be thinking, this is irrelevant to me. But you can relate to this psalm. I'm sure that you can relate to this. We've all been bound up by a particular fear. We've all been seized by that fear. We've been overwhelmed by a fear. You've allowed your fears to dictate your actions, to tell you what to do. And we're not talking about the fear of the boogeyman in the night. We're talking about very specific things. We're talking about the fear of being single all of your life. We're talking about the crippling fear of letting your kids out of your sight at school or at church or in your neighborhood. Talking about the fear of everyone finding out that you're really a fraud, that you're not as smart or you're not as talented. That you don't have it all together. The fear of some, somebody finding out about your past. The fear of trusting God with your bank account by giving an offering to God. The fear of not being accepted by a certain group of friends at church or at work or in your neighborhood. The fear of being known as a follower of Christ. Very real fears that we're talking about. So let's read parts of this psalm again. And this time I want you to insert your own Personal fear. Whatever your fear is that you have that pops in your mind as I'm talking about this. Insert that fear into your mind. And let's, let's talk about it really this song Again, David says, They trample on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. Many attack me proudly. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk, they watch my steps, they wait for my life. So can you feel that? David's talking about people who are out to harm him, but he might as well have been talking about our own fears, our own worries that plague us, that bother us, and are constantly in our lives. There's one calamity after another. It's a sense of devastation. You're just recovering from that fear, and then here comes another blow, another fear, another reason to worry. So you're full to overflowing with grief and strife and struggle. And then here comes another one. Your fear and your worry and your anxiety, just no no end. So have you ever felt that way about your fears? Well, if you have, and I think we all have, then we know that when we feel that way, we feel alone. You can be surrounded by people that you know love you and you still feel alone in the midst of those fears. And that's how David felt. David felt alone and afraid. So all of these fears that Chuck has talked about these past several weeks have, uh, can be boiled down to a fear of others, a fear of other people. Why, why do we feel ashamed? It's because we place far greater weight on what other people think than we, than we place on what God thinks. We fear people more than we fear or revere or hold God in awe. Why are we greedy? Well, it's often because we're comparing ourselves to others. Why do we worry? Well, it's because we fear the created world. We fear the unknown far more than we trust God. Why, do we, why are we selfish? Why, are, why do we fear, fear failure? Why are we afraid of rejection? Is it not because we're afraid of what others think of us? So simply put, we don't fear God. We fear others instead. We're not in awe of God like we should be. People are giants to us, and God is small to insignificant in our eyes. So what's the remedy for that? If that's our problem, that we fear others and we we don't hold God in awe, then what's the the solution? What's the remedy? What's the antidote to that? Well, look again at what David said in verses 3 and 4. Remember, he's, he's been seized by the Philistines here. And, and not just that, he's in Goliath's hometown. He's been seized by the brothers, the uncles, the sons of Goliath. So all of Goliath's family is there. And what does he say in verse 3? He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. Isn't that amazing when you stop and you think about that? Again, remember where he's at. Remember he's in the midst of these Philistines. So he goes from when I am afraid to I shall not be afraid in 16 words. It's a total transformation and an amazing transformation when you think about it. When I'm afraid to I shall not be afraid, just like that. And how does he do it? How does he do that? Well, he's putting his trust in God. That's part of the antidote. To your fears, and so I I know that when I say trust God, that sounds uh, trite, doesn't it? Just trust God. We've all heard somebody say that. Just trust God. That sounds trite. Sounds like Christianese. Sounds like pie in the sky. Uh, You know, you just hear that over and over. and, And what does that really mean? Well, listen to this. This is not trite. This really happened. It really worked for David. In the midst of his fears, in the midst of his enemies, and it can work for you as well. We're going to talk about that. So we're not going to overcome our fear of others without having a proper trust and love for God. We're not going to overcome our fear of others without having a proper trust and love for God. When we're fearful, our focus is on what? Our focus is on our circumstances, The more we focus on our overwhelming circumstances, the more overwhelmed we get. The more we focus on how alone we feel, the lonelier we get. The more we focus on how someone has done us wrong, the more afflicted we feel. The more we focus on our fears, the more fearful we get. But instead of focusing on his circumstances, instead of focusing on himself or on the the Philistines, what did David choose to focus on? He chose to focus on the character of God. He chose to trust God. So simply put, he recognized that God is better than his fears. And the result of that is a lack of fear. Let me give you an example of this. I can remember when our kids were very little, and uh, we were trying to get them comfortable around water. And as is parents uh, desire to do, or at least... Our desire to do. Uh, we challenge them. You're constantly giving them something else to, to work towards and, and move forward. So I can remember standing in the shallow end of the pool, and uh, this was before our kids could, could really talk in complete sentences, so they were really young. And I was trying to coax them to jump into the, into the water. And again, they couldn't talk in complete sentences, but I think if they could, the first time I tried that, they, were, they would have said, are you crazy? You want me to do what? So there I was standing in the pool and trying to convince them. And what were they doing? Well, they were looking at the water. And then they'd look at me. And then they'd look at the ledge. And then they'd look back at me. So eventually they jumped in. What can My son and my daughter, they, they're not still standing at the edge of the pool. Eventually they did jump in. So what caused them, what convinced them to take that leap? What were they looking at? at that time. They were looking at me. I was constantly telling them that it was okay. I was constantly telling them that they could jump in. And so when they jumped into the pool, what were they looking at? Were they looking at the water? They weren't looking at the water. Were they looking at the ledge? They weren't looking at the ledge. They were looking at me when they jumped in. That's exactly what David is talking about here. That's exactly what we need to do. We need to be looking not at our circumstances, but at at God. So overcoming your fear of others comes from seeing God as bigger than your fears, comes from seeing God as bigger than your circumstances. So you can trust him more than your circumstances. And David knew that because he spent time with God. You read the Psalms, and what's one of the things you see from the Psalms? You see that David spent an enormous amount of time with God. Now, My kids knew that they could trust me because why? Because I had spent time with them. They knew me. They trusted me. I had not let them down before. They knew that they could count on me to do that. David knew that as well. So, friends, can you honestly say that you have a relationship with God? Can you honestly say that you have a relationship with God if you rarely spend time with him? If you rarely pick up the Bible and read it on your own? If you rarely pray, can you honestly say that you have a relationship with God? Is it any wonder that we struggle with fear if we're not spending time with God? So why can we trust God? David knew that he could trust God. Why can we trust God? Well, that list is really long. We've got lots and lots of reasons why we can trust God. And we know from Scripture... I'll just pick out one. We know from Scripture that He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. And David knew that. When he was surrounded by the Philistines, David knew because he'd spent time with God, he knew, and because he'd faced Goliath and God had delivered him from Goliath, among other things, he knew that God was more powerful than the Philistines. God could deliver him. God's more powerful than whatever fear it is that you're facing. So we can apply this truth to to any fear that you have, but I'm just going to apply it to two truths right now. So if you're struggling with shame, if you're struggling with shame over something that you've done in the past, let's say it's something that you've confessed, you've repented of that, or if you're struggling with shame over what somebody has done to you, then how would that help? How would the fact that God is powerful affect you? Or how can you trust God through that? Well, what's more powerful? The sin that's causing you shame or the Savior who gave his life on the cross and bore your shame on that cross. When we orient our minds, when we orient our hearts to the truth, then why would we ever place more faith in our shame than in our Savior? Now, that takes a lot of fleshing out. I'm not saying that's a a switch that you flip. That's something that takes a lot of time to get right, and you may need to talk with somebody about that. You probably should talk with somebody about but, but that's one example one more example that might be helpful let's talk about the fear of of uh, what people think of you no one struggles with that fear do they right no one dresses to get noticed no one wonders what other people are really thinking about them uh, no one uh, stays up at night and wonders or or kicks themselves over the foolish interactions that they had during the day, wishes that they'd said this instead of that, or did this instead of that. Nobody does that, right? So youth, college students, you want to be liked, right? You want people to like you. So maybe you're concerned, we all do, right? We all want people to like us. So maybe you're concerned that people are talking behind your back. Maybe they're spreading things about you that aren't true, or maybe they're spreading things about you that are true. But you don't like it. You want them to stop. So you've gone to them, as Scripture tells us to. You've confessed whatever you need to confess. You've asked forgiveness for whatever your part is in it. And they still don't like you. They're still treating you bad. So what do you do in that situation? Well, you can work really, really hard to try to impress them. You can try to win them over. You can jump through whatever hoops they provide to try to, to make them like you. Or... You can talk bad about them. If they're going to talk bad about me, I'm going to talk bad about them, right? Or you can put God in his proper place as being more important than them. Whose opinion really matters? Is it God's opinion or is it man's opinion? That's one application of this psalm. Remember what David said. He said, they trample on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. Many attack me proudly. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. And David's talking about the Philistines here, but he might as well be talking about those people who are oppressing you, those people who don't like you. Look again at what David said in verse 11. He says, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Now, does everyone have to like you? Is your reputation too important? That's something that I've had to struggle with, continue to struggle with. And that's something that I've had to learn over and over again, that God's opinion matters far more than anybody else's opinion. He's the one that I ought to be trying to please. He's the one that I need to be concerned about, not man. So does God have the power then to protect your name? Does he have the power to keep you from being rejected or to keep people from talking badly about you? Well, well, of course he does. He had the power to protect David from the Philistines. So he has the power to deliver you from whatever your fears are. But does an all-powerful God always protect you in the way that you wish that he would? Well, no, of course not. Let's not be foolish. Of course he doesn't always protect us in the way that we wish the answer to David's question, he, he says, What can man do to you? The answer is painfully obvious. Man can do a lot to us. A lot of bad things can happen to us. We can be rejected by others. You can be... Um, really bad things can happen. You can be hurt by others, physically or otherwise. And we see that in Acts chapter 7. You don't have to turn there, but many of you will remember the, the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen was one of the earliest Christians and earliest converts to Christianity, and he was put on false trial and brought before the scribes, the elders, the rulers, the very people who had orchestrated the death of Jesus, he was brought before them and put on false trial, and he chose to fear God more than fear man, and he did that by preaching. He actually preached to these people who had orchestrated the death of Jesus. And so, what happened to him? Well, there's a lot of similarities here between him and David. David walked into the hometown of Goliath. And Stephen walked into the place where all the leaders who had orchestrated the death of Jesus were. One lived and one was stoned to death. And all-powerful God allowed David to live and he allowed Stephen to die. Now, that's sobering when we think about that and realize that. But we have to see what man can do to us in light of what God has done for us. We have to see what man can do to us in light of what God has done for us. We must remember that God allowed his own son, who is perfectly innocent and perfectly righteous, to die for sins that he didn't commit. He didn't spare his own son And one of the consequences of Jesus' death, his life and his death, is that we have a God who can identify with our fears. The fears that we struggle with, the fears that we've been talking about these past several weeks, were all realized in Jesus. He bore our shame. He was exposed on the cross. Jesus was a victim of the greed of Judas, and he died the death of an insignificant man. Jesus faced the fears of anxiety. He faced the fears of losing control, and yet he submitted himself to his heavenly Father. He experienced the pain of abuse and betrayal. He fought against the fear of failure. He was rejected. Those are all fears that we've talked about these past several weeks. But where we fail in those fears, Jesus is victorious. He trusted his father. He never gave in to those fears. He always looked first to his father for his father's perspective about who he was and what he ought to be doing. He never put man in the place of others. He never feared others more than he feared God. And because Jesus can identify with our fears, we can trust him. We can trust Jesus. In verses 8 and 9, David says, this is one of the most beautiful parts of the psalm, he says, You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? This I know that God is for me. God knows every tear that you've shed. God knows every struggle that you've ever had with your fears. He's heard every cry of your heart. And David wasn't alone and without a friend in the midst of his enemies. And you're not alone in the midst of your fears, Jesus is right there with you. He's been there. David chose to place his trust in a God who is better than those whom he feared. We have an all-powerful friend and king who empathizes with you and who's able to deliver us from our fears. So if you're here today and you've never put your faith, you've never put your trust in God, then now is the time to do that. Don't walk out of this room without putting your trust in God. We have a Savior, a God who died a sinner's death, who came from heaven to earth as a baby, became a man who took our our sins so that we might have a relationship with God. So put your faith and your trust in God. But if you're a Christian and you're here today, which is, is many of us who are here today who still struggle with fear, who still struggle greatly with fear then that means that we're not fully putting our trust in God so don't leave the room today without talking to somebody about that whatever fear that's plaguing you talk with somebody about that talk with me after the service i would love to talk with you about that and fully put your trust in God he is the only one who can deliver you from your fears so putting your trust putting your trust in a loving Compassionate, caring God is only part of the antidote of your fears. It really leads to the, That's the first step. It leads to the second step that we're going to talk about for just a moment. If I'm not supposed to fear people, you say, okay, so I got it. I'm not supposed to fear people. Then what do I do with people? How do I relate to them? If I'm not supposed to fear them, then what, what do I do? Well, fortunately, we have some answers to that in Scripture as well. Let's see what else David said regarding this. He said in verses 3 and 4, and then in 10 and 11, he says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. So we get repetitive reminders in these four verses to put our trust in God and to praise God's Word. So what does that mean? Does that mean... What what does it mean when David says that he is to praise God's Word? Does that mean that he bows down and worships the written law? Or does that mean that we are to hold up our Bibles? We're not to bend the spine? We're not to mark in them? Or that we're actually to pray to the Word of God? What does that mean, that he, he praises God's Word? Well, it means that we're to take it seriously. We're to let it shape our lives. We're to take it in... Let it affect us. Let it change us. Let it inform us who God is, who his character is, or what his character is, and who we are in response to that, how we ought to respond to his character. God tells us over and over in Scripture about the importance of his word, and not just in this psalm. In lots of psalms, you'll see lots of things that are said about God's God's word talks about God's word nourishing us, how it protects us, how it leads us uh, to a relationship with God, how it even points towards our need for Christ, even in the Psalms, saying that. And in the New Testament, God tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now you can find those kinds of words all over the Bible. They're everywhere. God speaks highly of his own word in his word. So if you want to learn about salvation, where do you go? You go to God's word. If you want to learn about how to resist temptation, you go to God's word. If you want to learn about wisdom, how do you gain wisdom? You go to God's word. If you want to learn how to relate to others, if you want to learn how not, to fear others, but how to relate to them properly, then where do you go? You go to God's word. So all scripture is valuable. All Scriptures important. We're to praise God's word. We're not to fear people. So how do we relate to them? Well, Jesus answers that in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he answers uh, the person that asked. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So did you get that? Did you see that? All the rest of Scripture, all of Scripture is dependent on these two commandments. So if you keep these two, everything else flows from it. Everything else comes from these. So I I love my wife. I love my kids. It's an imperfect love, of course. I don't love, I'm not the perfect husband, not the perfect father, don't love perfectly. But even so, I don't need a sign uh, hanging above my garage door that tells me to remember to ask Katina about her day when I get in. I don't need a reminder to spend time with my kids or to tell them that I love them or to give them a hug. I don't need a reminder to do that, even though I am imperfect in my love. So in the same way, if we truly, deeply loved God, if we were able to love God and others with a perfect love, would we need the Ten Commandments? Would we need the law? If we were able to love completely, perfectly, we would not need those things. So we've already seen that loving God is one of the antidotes to our fears. It it helps us to overcome our fears. Trusting him, knowing his character, putting our trust in him, loving him, helps us to overcome that fear. What about loving others? How does that help us? How does that change us? So what are the objections to loving your neighbor? And by the way, when I say neighbor, I'm not talking only about the person who lives next door to you. I'm talking about uh, your co-worker. I'm talking about your classmate. I'm talking about... A fellow church member, I'm talking about a family member, I'm talking about uh, someone at the grocery store, and I'm talking about the person that lives next to you as well. So, how? What are the objections to loving your neighbor? Well, there's several objections to that. I mean, you could say, "Well, you don't know my neighbor, I could never love them, right?" Or you could say, "They don't love me, so why should I love them?" Or I don't have time to love my neighbor, or you don't know what my neighbor has done to me, or I have a neighbor, right? So there's all sorts of reasons that we struggle with loving others. So how do you do that? How do you love others? Well, the key is to remember that we are loved ourselves. Ephesians 1 Paul says, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So Paul's saying that as a believer, I was once alienated from God. I was once separated from God. I was not a member of his family. And through no act of my own, nothing good in me, God chose me. He called me. He saved me. And he made me a part of his family. And so there's no reason to boast in that because I have not done anything to deserve that. God just chose me. So if God has acted towards me in this manner, then how can I act, how can we as believers act in any different way towards our neighbors, towards other people? So as we understand how much God loves us, as we understand that, how undeserving of that love we are, then that ought to cause us to love others. So instead of looking to people for acceptance, we no longer let shame or greed or worry or selfishness rule our lives. Instead, we look to love others in such a way that they're pointed towards Christ and the acceptance that they can only find through God. We see that in this passage that Logan helped us uh, read through with us earlier. First John chapter four, I'll read it again. He says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Don't worry about that word. So (laughs) beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, though God abides in us and his love is perfected. In us. So we're, we're reminded in this passage that if we are loved by God, and we are, we're loved by God, then we ought to demonstrate that love by loving other people. People were not created to be feared. People were not created to be feared, but rather God in His sovereignty has allowed us to show who He is by letting us love other people. So the antidote to fear is to trust and love God and to love and serve others. But instead, we distrust and we dismiss God and we fear and need others. So do you see the difference in that? This is is so countercultural to us. The world says that success is based or defined by how many people you have serving you, how many people are in orbit around us, And the Bible says the opposite of that. The Bible says that success is defined by how many people you are serving. How many people are you meeting the needs of? So how do you find the power to do that? How do you find the power to not fear others but instead to serve them? Well, Paul wrote in Philippians 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the answer is Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is our example. Jesus left the comfort and riches of glory to become a helpless baby and to die the death of what what many would consider to be an insignificant man. But he's not just our example. Jesus was also empowered. He was also led by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that we as believers have Living inside of us. This is called this sermon series is called Living Water. Do you remember the first sermon? Uh, the first passage from the first sermon of the series? It's in John chapter 7. And let me read that, that passage to you again. Uh, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart. Will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So, the whole point of this series is to show us how our fears block us, or block the living water, block the Holy Spirit from working in our lives. Jesus says, Come to me, come to me, love God, and through that you can love others. So, one more example that might be helpful as we try to have a correct orientation between God and people Uh, ryan merrill is at the very back doing the powerpoint he does a great job love you ryan i'm going to use you as an example you're people you're us you're me you're everybody else you look this small to me ryan even when you stand up like that yeah you look this small to me and chuck i'm going to compare you to god it's just an analogy just an analogy If Chuck were able to walk up here and stand stand in front of me, he would look big, right? He'd look very tall. Even so, even sitting on that front row, he's bigger than Ryan. That's the way it ought to be in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. We ought to be spending more time with God, more time thinking about him, more time trying to please him, more time uh, aware of, of who he is and what his impact in our life is. But instead, we get that reversed. We spend far more time thinking about, what does Ryan think about me? Remember that thing that he did to me and how awful that made me feel, how shameful that was, how that makes me feel about myself? He's rejecting me. Or let me try to please him. Let let me try to make him happy. We spend far more time revolving, orienting our lives around Ryan than we do. And so in that case, Ryan looks like a giant in our eyes as opposed to God. God is insignificant in our lives. So, friends, are you spending time with God? When is the last time that you read your Bible on your own? When is the last time that you prayed on your own? When's the last time you put in three good days in a row of reading your Bible? Not to be legalistic, but shouldn't we want to spend time with the Savior who died for us, shouldn't we want to spend time with him? Our fears are always going to be bigger than God if we're spending more time thinking about others than we are about God. God will never be as close to you as he should be if you don't know him, if you don't spend time with him. Let me end today with a quote from Ed Welch in his book. This, this book can be found back at the bookstall as well. When God when people are big and God is small. And he said, when the kingdom of God is ruling our hearts, we aspire more to serve than to be served, honor more than be honored, and love more than be loved. This doesn't mean that we don't care about being loved. It simply means that we always want to outdo others in love. Do we run the risk of a lopsided relationship? Well, absolutely. But that's the relationship that we have with God. He always loves first and most. He always makes the first move. He advertises his extravagant affection for us. So Christian who's here today, are, are your fears defining your life? Are you a prisoner of what others may think of you? Are you making financial decisions out of fear rather than out of trust or love for God? Are you paralyzed by a fear related to the well-being of your kids? When you love God and when you love others, then you can move beyond your struggle with shame and the fear of being exposed. Loving God and others allows you to overcome the fear of insignificance. And it helps you to see that God's in control and that you don't need to fear losing the control that you never really had in the first place. Loving God and others enables you to overcome your selfishness and instead desire to share this Christ whom you love with other people around you. Loving God and others helps you to overcome the fear of failure that paralyzes us, and it keeps us from putting people in a place that they were never meant to occupy in our lives. We no longer fear the rejection of others because we love God, and because we love God, out of that overflow, we're able to love others. So when we love God more than we fear others, we let the living water of the Holy Spirit pour out of our hearts so that we're able to love others. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for loving us first. God, you've chosen us, made us your people for for no reason having to do with us. There's nothing good in us that, that would deserve that. It's only your love. And God, as we think about that and dwell on how much we are loved, how undeserving of that love that we are, I pray that that would change our lives, that we would not put people as our idols, not orient our lives around a spouse or a boss or children or groups of people, that we would instead put you on the throne and follow you, be obedient to you, love you. God, I thank you for your word that changes our lives, shapes our lives, allows us to be informed of of who you are, what your character is, what you've done for us, and then who we are in relation to that and response to that. God, thank you for your great, extravagant love. I pray that we would not leave this room without talking to somebody about our fears today. God, we all have them. I pray that that we would be transparent, open, and honest, and that we would be willing to to open ourselves up rather than fearing people, that we would be vulnerable and share uh, our fears with our brothers and sisters who are here today. God, we pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would
0: you join me in... Thank you, Tad, for sharing with us today. I've personally learned over the last six weeks that fear is something that we encounter a lot. And we don't often talk directly about our fears, but I've seen um, in our family of faith that the things we do talk about often reveal those fears. And I hadn't really thought of it in that way. And our hope is that this wouldn't be just six weeks where we've spent time in the scriptures and then we move on, but that we would actively and attentively listen well to one another, that we would encourage each other back towards faith and love, as Tad's talked about today, and that when we hear things from each other, like um, apathy, for example, that we would see beyond the apathy to the fear that lies underneath it, and that we would love each other enough to be prayerful and to speak the truth in love and to encourage each other. Because, friends, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We really have nothing to fear when things are properly ordered in our hearts. And so may God give us the strength and courage, and indeed he already has, to be brothers and sisters to one another, so that this wouldn't be just a small passing uh, memory, but that lives would be consistently changed. So thank you, Ted, for sharing with us today. As we go, I'd like to read from First John uh, chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love each other, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Christians, may you go today with the confidence that God's Spirit lives within you. And may his Spirit give us the confidence to believe in Christ and to love each other. Go in his peace. You're dismissed.